And anyway, welcome to Sparkles and the Whiny Snacks. I was gonna let Michelle do that introduction, but then she didn't, so I'm gonna do it. I am Paige. I'm Michelle. And this week we read The Ruining by somebody whose name I can't pronounce Anna Colomore. Colomore. Calamari. No, that's definitely not how <laughs> Um, this font at the beginning made me think it was the running for like the first three times I picked it. I mean, Michelle has some problems reading. Yeah, I have a little bit of dyslexia that I've self-diagnosed, so you're welcome, world. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so we picked this up in the library and Where you all in the white section, and I don't remember how I pulled this off the shelf, because based on the title, I would not have touched it. I think um, it was sitting it was, face out. I think it was face up, so I turned to look at it, um, and the back, which is sort of covered up by the sticker, says... Um, something, dream of going to California to work for a perfect family is finally reality. She never expected to return to a nightmare. And I was like, oh my gosh, we have to read this book because this book is my life. Um, that's the only reason I picked this up. I don't know if you guys know this, but, um, Paige was a nanny for a family in this area that this book takes place in, the San Francisco Bay Area, Mm -hmm. um, for several months. Mm -hmm. And things went downhill. I'm sure we, I think we've probably done quick stories about this family (laughs) on the Mm -hmm. podcast, but... That's what, because this book also takes place in the Bay Area, so not even just in California, but mm-hmm. more specifically, the area where Paige was naming. Yeah. Sort of. Same situation, like, very wealthy family. Yes. I was a live-in as well, same as the character, so you live in their house. We talk more about that. <laughs> um, and yeah, and then I quit my job, because I couldn't take it. And that's why she's here, guys. In Colorado, for a few more weeks. Yeah. Don't touch the placement! I'm sorry, I only did it one time. I'm gonna cut it out, but it oh it was God. tilted towards you when you already talked louder. Well, last podcast I didn't talk at all. <laughs> well, yeah, that's not my fault. Let's move on. Okay, this book. This book. Do you do you wanna enter? Yeah, I can start it. So our main character is Annie. Is this totally first person? Or third yes, person? and it's, it's freaking okay. annoying. It's totally first person from the perspective of Annie. And Annie is this 18-year-old girl. Um, she's grown up in Detroit, and she has a horrible family situation. She lives with her mother and her stepfather. Um, and we come to find out, I don't remember if this is revealed initially after we wait a couple chapters, that um, she feels responsible for her sister's death because her sister drowned when she was younger. Um, and she was, like, supposed to be watching her sister, sort of, because her mom's a horrible mother. Pretty much. Yeah, basically, okay, all that happens is that her younger sister's like, I'm gonna go swimming, and Annie's reading a book, and she's like, in 15 minutes, like, or whatever. Um, and then her sister goes and gets in the pool by herself, unbeknownst to Annie, and drowns, and Annie comes out and finds her in 15 minutes or whatever. And so, so you can say, like, you feel guilty, but at the same time, like, is it really her fault? No. No. <laughs> it's written very clearly to show that, it, like, it was not her fault. Um, but... Yeah. I guess if she was a mother, it'd be different. Yeah. She's not in charge of childproof in the pool. She's not, like, she's, yeah. like, 13 when it happens. I think her sister is, like, four, and she's, like, 13. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, but she wants to go out of Detroit. It's a horrible family situation, and she's always dreamed of going to San Francisco. Which she sunny, perpetually sunny San Francisco. Yeah, which is not true. If you've ever been to San Francisco, it's, like, almost always cold and damp and cloudy. I'm not... Whereas I think, you might think that this is just like, oh, we're not supposed to, the character doesn't know anything about San Francisco. Okay, yeah, but I'm not sure the author knows anything about San Francisco either. As we'll come to find out, there's some geography, <laughs> geography that's a little bit, doesn't make sense. Um, or not geography as much as traffic. Because there's never a point where the character's like, hey, it rains a lot here. Hey, it's like not, it's not warm, it's not sunny. In the book, it's talked about as being she, sunny. No, she mentions that they're outside and it's like, she's taking advantage of one of the few warm days oh, okay. or something. But yeah, it's not made up as a big point. I'm like, huh, this is not what I expected. But anyway, so she gets into SFSU, San Francisco mm-hmm. State University. Um, and she also gets a position as a live-in nanny for this family that lives on Belvedere Island. <laughs> this is where problem happens. She goes to school in the city of San Francisco. Belvedere Island is about 45 minutes without traffic. When is there not traffic in San Francisco? Maybe about 2 a.m. <laughs> that is, of course, not when she's traveling back and forth. And there are points in which the dad says he can go drop somebody off on the campus and be back in 30 minutes, which <laughs> would not happen. It would take I think he said he's going to be back in 20. <laughs> it was like a ludicrous number. It's 45 minutes without traffic, and typically with traffic, it would be anywhere from 2 to 3 hours. Um, no, I just looked it up. Yeah, how much traffic is there on 2 p.m. on a Saturday afternoon? 
Versus 9 a.m. on a Monday morning. I don't know. I need to get the laptop back and look it up. Okay, well, anyways, the point knowledge of California traffic. You're not getting there in under an hour and a half. No. For sure. It'll probably be close to two hours. Um, So it's honestly not realistic to live out there and go to school in the city and not live at school. Especially if you're nannying. Like, maybe if you're, like, going to come in in the morning, stay for all your classes, and you're going to spend time in the library in the afternoons or whatever, and go out, which is a horrible, horrible life to live, but something you could do. But if you're expected to nanny for this family, and she's working 30 to 40 hours a week, and also going to classes multiple days a week, like, I don't understand how this would be at all feasible. It's not. It's very frustrating to people who have spent any time in California, which both Paige yes. and I have. Um, yes. And, like, yeah, no, that's one of the immediate problems I have with this story. Like, I don't understand how you're going to need and be a full-time student. Because when I was a full-time student, I was a full-time student. <laughs> like, I did some extracurricular stuff. But, like, like it takes yeah. up all of your time. Yeah. Um, depending I mean, on how you're doing it. But... And especially, yeah, nannying is so much time. Like, it's not babysitting. It's not like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm spending time from them from 3 to 6 every afternoon, so I'll just make sure my schedule is clear from mm-hmm. 3 to 6. Which also wouldn't work. Like, I mean, you could make it work. Mm-hmm. It would work fine with my schedule, so. <laughs> she only had classes in the morning. It was the only time you could take classes. <laughs> was my I know, but, like, I'm assuming there's other schools. Paige also overloaded her courses every single semester, so. Yeah. I don't know if either of us are the best model, but I imagine you can make it work. But nannying, where you're expected to be there, like, six to eight hours a day. I don't think you could make it work. Because if you had any afternoon classes and you had to be back at 3, okay. even if you took a 115 to 2.30, you, and you have to make it there in a half an hour, good luck. Okay. Well, I need people that do that, so maybe it wasn't every single day, but they, like, it works. Okay. Anyway, um, this is a stupid point of art joke. <laughs> so she moves in with this family. She's very excited to move in with them. Um, because they seem nicer than her family, which is really not a very high bar. But, (laughs) um, so it's this woman, her husband, um, so Libby, I don't remember her husband's name. Walker. Walker. Libby and Walker. Who they sometimes call a walk, which is a freaking annoying thing. And then they have two kids. They have a baby and then a three-year-old. Um, and she, as she comes to find out, she moves, she moves over there. Um, she finds out that really she's only responsible for the three-year-old. Um, the mother, Libby, works from home, and so she takes care of the baby most of the time. Mm-hmm. Which, Zoe and Jackson are children's names. Yeah. So, things that start out great. She likes Zoe a lot. Zoe likes her. It's really cool. She starts to kind of form a bond with Libby. Libby's like, oh, we know everything about you. Her, yeah. She gets her a little bit drunk. She gives her some wine. Not, like, drunk drunk, but a little tipsy. Um, and she gives her a bunch of clothes from her closet, and... Yeah, so she gets, like, Libby's cast off of, like, nice clothing. This, by the way, um, is not how my nanny experience went. Um, I did not receive her, like, old dresses and shoes, obviously. Um, but I guess that's just, like, how nice we're supposed to think Libby is. Um, and Libby kind of wants to be, like, her mentor. She's like, oh, you should do interior design. Then you could, like, help with nice, like, whatever. Libby is immediately painted as, like, this very nice, Right, and so wants to build this relationship. Yeah, and Annie starts to think of her, too, like a mentor and an older sister, which is a dumb thing to do, okay? Mm-hmm. They're your employer, and if you blur that line, um, you're setting yourself up also, for a lot of Also, living with them, and living where you work is, like, very hard. I've never nannied, but I've already and, like, even that, like, it's hard to live where you work. It and is, so, yeah. like, the lines, the lines become a little bit unclear, <laughs> but also, like, you're not friends. <laughs> No, yeah, okay, this I can't speak to as a living nanny for, like, a very similar situation, like, a very similar situation, um... Yeah, Paige was gaslit as well. <laughs> <laughs> similar in, like, without that aspect, that one aspect, um... But, whoa. No, this is, like, a lot of the reason I quit. Like, it's extremely hard to be a living nanny. Um, just because people think of, like, living as being, like, this perk of your job. You're like, oh, you have free rent and you get free meals. It's... <laughs> it's not a perk. It's just what happens when you, like, have to work weird hours and stuff. Like, right. It just becomes part of your job. But it's, like, it's really horrible if you don't have... Like, you have to have, like, a very, like, very good relationship with a family. Not, like, a normal working relationship. Like, a very, very good relationship. Um, plus, you really need to have, like, a decent amount of your own space. Because, like, even when you... Like, you get your own bedroom and bathroom. Like, that's standard. You're not supposed to have to share. 
obviously. Um, <laughs> you and Zoe. So, like, turn around. <laughs> yeah, you're not supposed to, that's not supposed to happen. So, I had my own bedroom and bathroom, okay? It's at the end of the hallway, but it's in their basement. So, like, like if, after I, like, finished up for the night or whatever and came downstairs, sometimes, like, the dad would be watching TV in, like, the basement living room area. So, I'd have to, like, walk through that room to get to my room and. It's just awkward, like, just constantly being in the same space, but it's not my space. And so, like, whenever I was not working, like, unless I left the house, I just had to stay in my bedroom. Mm -hmm. Um, And, like, you have to, like, I didn't have my own, like, kitchen or anything. And some, depending on how wealthy the family is, like, you might have, like, sort of your own, almost like an apartment situation set up. Um, But, like, I had to use the same kitchen, so I had to cook and eat meals there. Um, But at the same time, I couldn't be cooking and eating meals when the family was. Um... Because that's over the line, mm-hmm. because they're not your family, um, and so I'm supposed to be like stay out of the kitchen, like to the point where like if the housekeepers were eating lunch and they heard um, the mother come home with the kids, like they had to take their place into the laundry room to finish eating. Like <laughs> it can be like very very stressful um, because you have like this small amount of space, you really can't be in other parts of the house. Um, right, because when you're in other parts of the house, you're like at your job yeah um and like <laughs> you can hear everything <laughs> like um you can never like get away from them and I also was in a situation where like I used a family car so then like like so me leaving the house yeah me leaving the house and then I had to use their car so like they couldn't be using the car it's just like it's very stressful yay true story so anyway it's a stressful situation um, but she really starts to develop this, like, deep bond with Libby. Or so she thinks. Um, the thing is, it's going down Annie now. is super, can I just interject to this point, to say that Annie is an idiot. She's very naive. And she's extremely willing to form this, like, really personal connection with Libby. Yeah. Like, for at no instance is she ever like, oh, she's my employer, and I'm an employee. At one point, Libby brings this up, and it, like, really hurts her. And I'm just like... There's points in here which I think you're supposed to read as like them uh-huh. being really horrible, and I'm just like, you're like no shit. Of course, that's these are employee ex- or employee expectations. So anyway, things start to go really downhill when she's in the garage trying to get a trike, a tricycle out for Zoe to go play on their driveway. Which and this is like she has to dig through the garage to get it. Like it's buried right. under stuff. And this is the point where, as someone who's been, I would be like, oh no, <laughs> like she, we're leaving the trike alone. Right. Like I'm not gonna go through. Stuff she in the has. She goes in the garage and it's like full. So she's never been in the garage before. Um, and so she's like having to dig through boxes mm-hmm. to get to the tricycle. Having to move all that stuff. And then one of the boxes tips over and all these papers fall out. And they have, and she's trying to and then she tries to put them back in the proper folders, which like so she sees a bunch of them and they're like tax records. They're trying financial to, documents and right. travel plans and Right. I think it's like stuff that they're gonna give to their account accountant. So it's like receipts from their travels. Mm-hmm. There's like a travel folder, there's like a business folder, there's, like, a home care folder, you know, like, things that you would give to your accountant, mm-hmm. um, and one of the folders has, like, Adele, whatever the last name is, Cohen, Cohen, on it, and she's like, hmm, weird, I don't know any Adele, she also finds a box of clothes, and she's like, well, I'll ask the woman about this later, God, that's just like, the weirdest thing, she's like, oh, look at these beautiful scars, and the this is all happening while she's technically watching this toddler on a trike. And she's like, just stay in the garage. Eventually she lets the toddler go in the driveway and she's like, just stay in the driveway. And I'm like, oh my god, you're going to let a toddler on a trike just out of your sight and just going to be like, oh, please stay in the driveway? She, I don't think she's a good nanny. I don't think she knows. Well, that was the whole thing. Trying to, like, <laughs> they didn't hire her because they thought she'd be good. Um, um, anyway. But so. she, she, asked the, she asked Zoe, that's real. She's like, does your mom ever wear these? And she's like, no. And she's like, maybe I'll ask her if, she, if I can borrow them. She's like talking to the toddler. And I'm like, why in the world? And I just like it's can't so understand. Yeah, why she thinks she could borrow someone's clothes, even if they're out in the garage, like your employer's clothing. Also the fact that like, again, you're not supposed to have gone through these boxes and now you're just trying to like put things away in a hurry so that they don't know that you had to like, like obviously it was an accident that the boxes fell. Okay, and so you're trying to put something stuck away in some, like, oh, hey, um, some glass of water. Could you hand me that phone and I'll shut it up? <laughs> We're getting a phone call, guys. The call on day of the podcast. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> um, and what the hell was I saying? Um, so you're trying to put stuff in the back of my boxes. Okay, fine. But, like, obviously, 
And she's, she's like, do I tell them that, like, I knock on these boxes and I put stuff back? Well, or she, do you just try and, like, let things go? But at the same time, she's also like, I wonder if I can borrow this scarf. And it's like, to ask if you can borrow the damn scarf, you're going to have to admit that you went through the box of clothes and Right. Anyway, she doesn't have to make that decision because they come home and catch her, like, putting things back in the box. And she tries to explain. Um, the dad gets married. Walker gets very angry about this and suggests that they should fire her. Somehow she overhears this. I'm not exactly clear. I don't remember. How she overhears it, but, um... If it was, like, where I was living, um, there were no one... It was in California, and I guess there wasn't insulation really in the wall, so, um, sound really traveled pretty far in the house. Anyway, so, Libby is like, no, we can keep her. Like, it was an accident, and Libby's, like, defending her. Mm-hmm. Walker's like, we should fire her for going through this process. This, to me, is weird, because it never gets explained later. Later we find out, like, Libby is a villainess, and I don't understand why Libby would have defended her. Because Lib- the reason Libby hired... Okay. The, the reason Libby hired her was because... She, can we just say the end? We're going to spoil the end. All right. Yeah. So the reason Libby hires her is because she wants to frame Annie for Zoe's murder. She's That's gonna, never said, but it's sort of like the implication. It's very implied. Yeah. Um, that, and we'll talk about why later, but um, yeah. <laughs> so she wants to keep her because she picked this girl out because she... Has she a problematic history, history with children donating. Great. So they have a pool, so... Two for one. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, I think yeah. that's why she kept her. It's not that explicit, but that's how I read it. I guess so. Yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah. Anyway, things start going downhill after that. Um, and although Libby has stood up for her, she starts like yelling at her about weird things and also starts referring to her as Nanny. <laughs> she's like, hey, Nanny, um, instead of Annie. But then when Annie points it out, and she's like, I'd really feel more comfortable if you called me by my name and not by Nanny. Um, she's like, I always call you by your name, stupid. <laughs> Something like that, she phrased it then. But, yeah, she denies calling her nanny and says, I always call you Annie. Um, they're close together, so you can see how you'd be confused. Um, but sometimes it seems, like, very clear that what she said was nanny and not Annie. Um, also, as an employee, like, do not care they're paying you. They can call you whatever they want. <laughs> to some extent. Probably it shouldn't be, like, throwing out racial slurs, but, like. Um, I think. Yeah, I don't know. Calling you nanny, nanny is probably kind of rude, but like they're not your employer. You need the meaning. Yeah, get a different job if you don't like it. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't think it's really. I don't think it promotes good relations between. Oh anybody. no, I would never call my nanny nanny. Like I'm not advising that, but like I also think as like the nanny, I don't know if like you've asked for once and they're still ignoring you. I don't know how like if this is the hill you want to die on. Mm. A lot of times my nanny families have called me Miss Paige, so. There you go. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so okay. she starts doing that. Um, yeah, and there's some weird things. She'll, she'll, like, yell at her for very small things and, like. What are some of the, like, the weird things that happen? Initially, I'm trying to remember the smaller things. I, of course, yeah. remember, like, the bigger stuff that happens later. Is there smaller things? Or does she just call her nanny? And then, like really start laying on the gaslighting. <laughs> I think that's... I don't know. I think that's it. Um, she starts she starts calling her in a lot more and then gets frustrated when she's unwilling to do something. She'll be like, I can't, like, I have a class. And she'll be like, we hire, like, you live with us, you have to work more now. Well, yeah, that. originally she's supposed to be working, like, 20 to 25 hours a week, which maybe you could think that's doable. That may be real rough, but maybe you could think it's doable if you did nothing else. Right. Um, but really it's, you know, she's forced to, like, skip out a lot of class because they need her. Um, this is really Or, like, bad. not get her homework done because, which doesn't make sense because children go to bed at a very early hour, so you should still be able to get your homework done. Um, you're watching a four-year-old and an infant, so. Yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty Anyway, she doesn't get her homework done because she's, like, working for this family so much, blah de blah blah and she started to do, like, housework for them and things, which were things that were not initially in her, like, contract. It's super, for any of you who think about being a nanny, it's super important that boundaries are, like, very upfront and enforced. Otherwise, you will end up in one of these horrible situations. Maybe not this horrible. Hopefully it's not this horrible, but situations where suddenly you're working more than you thought you were, you're doing things more than the original job description. It's not good. Um, so then after things start to go downhill, or kind of in the process as they're going downhill, um, she befriends their next-door neighbor son who is well, this super early on yeah but. yeah um whose name is owen and he's 20 so um he's just a few years older than her and they start to have like a romantic 
relationship. From, like, the word go, basically. Yeah. There's not, there's, I never understood why he was in love with her. I understood why she was in love with him, because she seems really needy. And this is the only person that's nice to her. Like, I get that. And that he seems like a good person. Like, Like, he's nice, he's funny, he has his life together. Like, yeah, I understand that. I have no idea from his perspective why he's interested in her. Whatever. Especially, because, like, their initial interactions, I guess, are, like, she's, like, kind of, like, fun and, like, fun to talk to or be around. But that's for, like, the very first two interactions. After that, she's, like, kind of a crazy person. Yep. I have no idea what... things go downhill real, real quick. Yeah. And I just have no idea why he's in love with her. Yeah. Um, so anyway, then there's, there, then there's a couple occasions which I'm like, yes, of course, as <laughs> Libby would be mad. So there's one occasion in which, like... Owen is over when she's supposed to be, like, watching Zoe. Mm-hmm. And she gets yelled at for that, because, duh. Um, well, originally, and this is something that was sort of strange, Libby, is, like, well, yeah, this is, like, the small stuff we were talking about, the small, strange stuff Libby was doing. Um, so, at the, like, still at the beginning, this is, like, after she's given her, like, clothes and stuff, but um, she talks about, she's, like, you know, I saw that you were talking to Owen, like, and Libby really discourages her from talking to, seeing, thinking about Owen at all, because she doesn't want her forming any sort of friendship or romantic connection, um, which seems extreme, like, you can't dictate, like, right. your and, nanny's personal life is. I mean, it's also an indicator of an abusive relationship, like, ding, mm-hmm. ding, ding, like, this is not turning out to be healthy, in case you didn't notice that earlier. <laughs> um, if the person that any sort of friendship romantic relationship, whatever, is, like, you can only have me as a relationship, that's problematic. Yeah. And she's, and so, like, you can understand from an employer's standpoint that you're, like, you might be a little bit worried that your love and nanny forms a connection with the neighbor. Right. Um, because of things, and that's some of Libby's concern, if things go downhill, like, they're right next door, you still have to live here and work for us, um, and you don't want your nanny to fall to pieces. Hopefully, I'm assuming, I really hope <laughs> that you'd be more professional than to do this, um, whatever um but but Libby is like weird about it and like she actually puts terms on it she's like you really shouldn't be involved with them and it's like that's bizarre and she's like though I am glad to see that like you're attracted to younger guys and Annie's just like what the hell is wrong like what are you talking about and she's like well you know like my husband is very attractive and then there's this weird conversation where she's like you know I've seen that you look up to my husband but um obviously like there can't be any relationship there and I'm just like that's an awkward conversation to have. Right. And, like, probably shouldn't be had. Like. Right, unless it's really needed. Because, like, yeah. some inappropriate things are happening. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. So things get weird. I can't imagine that, having that conversation with um, an employer. Like, don't sleep with my husband. Be like. Okay. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, the, the one. So, the, at one point, um, Annie's at school, and this one girl is like, can I come back? The, the people are having a dinner party, and Annie invites one of her friends from school, which is, like, it, like, Annie didn't fully invite her, she kind of invited herself, but Annie didn't, like, say, like, no, you can't come, and they get to the house, she's texted Libby, mm-hmm. Libby texted her back while they were driving back to the island, and, um, and Libby is like, no, you can't bring people, this is, like, my house, you can't just bring guests and invite it mm-hmm. to my house, which is, like, Obviously. Obviously, yeah. No, as a living nanny, like, you cannot bring anyone back to the house. Ever. Yeah. And then it was, like, inappropriate, and then the girl got mad at her because she had to buy the cab fare home mm-hmm. because, um, it's, well, in this world, it's only 15 minutes away, but, like, in the real world, it's, like, at least an hour away. <laughs> um, anyway, so... There's drama there, but I just want to point out the situation because it's pointed out as something that, like, Libby is crazy. so mean, yeah. But, like, this is... Absolutely, that, like, for the first part, so, like, this is something where Owen and his family have been invited over to have dinner um, because Annie, like, let slip that Owen's family thought that they were, like, Libby and Walker were, like, standoffers or whatever. And Libby takes this heart and she's like, maybe I'll just throw a dinner party, you know, so everyone knows how cool and friendly we are, whatever. Um... And this is the part where it's kind of like, and Annie just assumes like she's a part of this dinner party, and I'm kind of like, hmm. like, Annie, I just, she's so dumb, she's so naive, and she knows nothing about nannying. 
Right? It's like Annie Shannon and Felix. Oh. Annie assumes that she's part of the dinner party too, which is not the assumption I would make ever at all. The only time they ever had dinner with a living with the living family was Thanksgiving, like the holiday. And I would see that at the very end of the table right next to the toddlers because I was helping to feed one of them. And um, the only other time was like when we were at their like place in Miami, like on their island or whatever, where they, again, because I was there having dinner with them because of the kids were there and they went to like the restaurant on the island and that like obviously I sat with them with the kids too. And, like, I think in both instances I had to leave early because the kids, like, had a fit and we had to take them back <laughs> to the apartment. <laughs> um, so, like, yeah, you're not there to chat and socialize and you're not part of dinner parties. Like, the little think... family I had, like, they had dinner parties for neighbors and stuff and I was there to wash dishes and entertain the children. I think, I think it was, she was invited uh-huh. because she's friends with Ellen, but I think it was also pretty clear that she was invited also to watch Zoe. Because yeah. when it, the dinner party is actually happening... The adults stay upstairs, and then Zoe, Owen, and uh, Annie go downstairs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it, I think she wasn't like invited or told that she was expected to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think she misconstrued invited and was expected to be there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and just like bringing a friend back to a dinner party, like you would never do that in any situation. You would never if you're invited to someone else dinner at someone else's house. You don't text them and say, "Hope oh, can I bring this random person with me." Right, in any situation, especially if you're the employee, it just is baffling to me. So she gets back, Libby's freaking pissed, which seems yeah. normal. Um, is it scary when your employee is mad at you? For sure. But um, I think there's probably a really clear reason for it right now. Um, and she's like, well, can you at least go get Zoe dressed? And so she does, but she dresses Zoe in a princess costume. And then that's what Zoe loves to wear. And then Libby's mad about that, which again... Seems normal. Right, unless this was a precedent set that, like, Zoe can wear whatever she wants to wear, because, you know, like, whatever, if that's not a battle that parents want to fight, and they say, your kid can just go yeah. or whatever, that's fine, but if there's a precedent set that Zoe's expected to dress appropriately for a dinner party, then put her in put an appropriate closet. Like, Annie is, like, a really bad nanny. <laughs> because, okay, toddlers, if you want to get them dressed, you don't open the closet and be like, what do you want to wear? <laughs> Because then they'll be like, I would like to wear mm, two pairs of shorts and my swimsuit top. <laughs> yeah, like, and you'll they'll never be able to make a decision. You pick out two appropriate outfits and you like, ask, we're you lucky want she one could... or two? <laughs> That's it. We're, we're lucky she wanted to wear the princess dress and not like, I would like to wear my, um, one kind of sock. And then I don't want to wear a shirt today. And... <laughs> Yeah, like, toddlers are not like, hmm, it's a dinner party, what should I wear? They don't have that cognitive reasoning. They cannot establish what's appropriate to wear based on the situation. <laughs> yeah. They can't establish what to wear based on, like, what would be appropriate for the weather, so I don't understand why you would understand, think that they could pick out an outfit for a dinner party. Yeah. No, Annie is really bad at her job. So Annie is really bad at her job, but she's nice, so we're, I guess we're supposed to like her and forgive her for being horrible at her job. Anyway, so now we're just going to get to, things start to go really crazy. Um, at one point, Zoe's just lying face down in the pool at like 5 in the morning. Annie runs out and thinks she's drowned, and then they're like, oh, we're just swimming in the pool. <laughs> ha uh, Annie's allergic to nutmeg, and Libby gives her bread with nutmeg in it, and it's like, you never told me you were allergic to nutmeg. Um, yeah. Things like that. They switch her wallpaper to yellow wallpaper because she was reading this book about this woman who went crazy because of her yellow wallpaper. Like the one time Libby or Annie goes to class, not really, but she's taking like a feminist or she's taking a lit class and they do a feminist lit unit. This part was weird, and they were originally <laughs> they make a big deal about in the novel where the professor's like, "Oh, I wanted to switch this book out. We're gonna." I think they were originally supposed to read Virginia Woolf something. Mm-hmm. Right? I think they were reading to the Lighthouse, lighthouse probably. Yeah. Or the same show, and then the professor's like, actually, I want to switch it out for the yellow wallpaper. And, like, the students are like, Ugh. and Annie's like, I really thought we were going to read, like, a, a, like, a feminist lit piece in this feminist lit course. And I'm just like, what the hell do you think the yellow wallpaper is? Like, the yellow wallpaper is, like, a very classic feminist text. And just like, I don't know why you're throwing a fit over reading the yellow wallpaper as opposed to Virginia Woolf. Like, I guess, okay, fine, you have a preference for what you want to read. But they're both classic feminist the whole class I don't know what the hell you're talking about. They have a whole class. They, like, throw a fit as a class. And they're like, the yellow freaking wallpaper, what the hell is that? Why would we be... And I'm just like, if you know enough about feminist lit to know what To the Lighthouse is, 
Why do you not know what the yellow wallpaper is? I mean, I didn't, but I also would assume that my professor would give me <laughs> it's not appropriate literature. I trusted my professors that much. <laughs> also, to a point, I didn't care. Like, yeah. they will make you read what you want. Or, like, she just has weird boundaries and expectations of authority figures. Guess what? They're in charge of you. You read what they tell you to read. You do what your employers tell you to do. <laughs> Yeah, anyway. Um, so yeah, things start to go really downhill. Things start spiraling. Walker goes on the business trip, and then things just go to hell in a handbasket. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, she goes so crazy that Libby's like, you're too crazy. I'm walking. We're skipping over a lot of the craziness that happened. Whatever. But at one point, Libby locks her in her room. She's <laughs> like, you're too crazy to handle. Gives her two Valium, which at this point, I'm not taking pills from this woman. Um, yeah, I'm not taking pills from anyone, but especially at this point. I was really, I was really concerned they weren't Valium, but I think they actually were. I think they actually were Valium. Um, but yeah, like, do you, do you just take, if people hand it to you and say, here's two Valium, take them, do you do that? Is that a normal thing for people? It's not normal for me. No, not me either. <laughs> um, people often don't offer me Valium, though, because I just take Valium when I got my wisdom tooth out, and it was the best. If I was going to do a drug, it would be Valium. <laughs> so if people were going to offer me Valium, I would definitely take it, but I no would one does. It. I would, like, consume it immediately, but I would hold on to it. Double check the numbers on the little pill on Google. Hold on to it for later. All right. Um, <laughs> no, anyway, she goes crazy and then um, she calls, she like gets her cell phone and calls, or gets a phone somehow, calls Walker and is like, Walker, things are going crazy. And he's like, Do you know what time it is here? Stop being annoying. And is like, Go handle this yourself with Libby. Um, Walker's like super checked out of the situation. He's like, I'm sick of this. Like, this is why I went away for so long. I can't take the tension between you and Libby. Whatever's going on between the two of you, you two, it's between you two, you two figure it out. I don't want to be a part of it. Which is how I react if someone called me at four in the morning, my <laughs> nanny, and didn't have a situation about my children. <laughs> Are you in immediate life-threatening danger? No? Okay, if you are calling number one. I am in a different country right now. I'm freaking Tokyo. So if you Shanghai. <laughs> Shanghai. Whatever. They're okay. both far away. <laughs> They're both far away, and I can't help you. I'm in a different country. If you're in immediate danger, call number one. If not, send your own. <laughs> anyway, also I don't know why she didn't call number one. I'm like being held against her well. Yeah. Like at that point when your employer has locked you in a room... Like, you can call 911 and, and say, I'm being held against my will in this house. That's what I would have done. Me as well. But I guess Annie's sort of lost it, partially because of Libby's imagination. It's un- yeah, but it's unclear a little bit. Hypothetically. <laughs> it's supposed to be unclear. It's hypothetically unclear. <laughs> I mean, I guess it is unclear, but not in, like, how much of this is, like, her going crazy and how much of this is, like, Libby's actual doing and manipulation mm-hmm. of the situation. Uh, it isn't clear, but I don't think in the way that it's like, oh, ambiguous. Yeah. I think it's just like, there's plot holes if Libby's responsible for everything. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I think it's just that it's mostly Because there's also weird things that happen at school where she'll like, be like, hey, what's our homework for this class? And the girl, and her, the girl she's friends with is like, I'm not in the class with you. Yeah. Um, so she, like, there's certain things that like, it would have been real hard for Libby to manipulate. Yeah, to the point where I think if that was the argument, I think that'd be ridiculous. And I right, so she know. also is going all the bit crazy? I think um, I think the idea here is that, like, Annie is, like, sort of just, like, vulnerable. Yeah. Like, emotionally, like, she doesn't have a whole lot of strength or stamina to, like, push back. When, mm-hmm. Once Libby starts, like, really gaslighting her and stuff, she doesn't, she really can't push back against it. Yeah. And so she sort of just succumbs to the reality that Libby's built for her. And so she becomes crazier and crazier um, because of what Libby's done, but also because she herself was vulnerable originally. Yeah. Um, yep. So yeah, Annie's gone a little bit crazy. Um, so anyway, she is institutionalized. By Libby. By Libby. Libby takes her to a mental institution. Mm-hmm. And she's like, we'll pay for everything. Like, this is totally fine. It's a state-run um, mental hospital. So we don't find that anything. out until later. That's true. Um, so this is like the very end of the book, too. There's not much time spent in the mental institution. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's institutionalized, and then um, things are weird. She has one friend who who's a nurse, and everyone else is kind of out to get her. Owen comes and visits her once, and is like, I something weird is happening. I'm going to figure it out and come back for you. Yeah, so they broke, apparently. So... Again, no idea why I wasn't interested in her. No idea. Because she starts to go crazy, and 
And also because even when she wasn't crazy, she wasn't that interesting. Um, she starts to go crazy on like date three. It's not like yeah, she no, starts to go crazy real fast, like six months into their relationship. And I can understand that, like maybe as a friend, you like want to help them, but I just don't understand why you'd be pursuing a romantic relationship at the same time. I understand that you could still want to be supportive and try and help them. Right, right. I don't understand why you'd be in love with them at the same time because you don't even also doing like deep investigating on their family. I whatever. Let's let's just assume that that makes sense. Um, and so. What the heck was I gonna say? Oh, they break up because because Amy breaks up with him at before Libby's she's urging before she's institutionalized. Because Owen's like, oh, you know, he has a tech startup, and he's like, oh, there's this investor in North Carolina, I'd have to move out there. And Annie just loses it because he's gonna move. He's thinking about moving, and so Annie at Libby's urging as well. Libby's like, it's the best thing that could happen. Now you can break up, and so Annie breaks up with him, and it's like. So they're broken up, but Owen eventually tracks her down in the mental hospital because he's realized something's not right. And then he comes to see her and is, like, horrified. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he, there's some stuff that happens in the mental hospital, but I don't care. You don't care. No one cares. No one cares. Um, <laughs> so eventually... She's started up a lot, and she eventually has to go undergo electroshock therapy. Yeah, which is... Is that still legal in the United States? Yeah. Okay. I think it is, like, it's fine for something. I, this is the thing where it's, like... I really felt like there was inconsistent characterization in the novel. So once she had institutionalized, I really felt like that we were supposed to be thinking that this mental institution was like a really unscrupulous place, mm-hmm. considering the amount of drugs they were giving her. Um, they don't believe her when she comes and says stuff about like her roommate. Um, they get start giving her electroshock therapy, and it just doesn't seem like the ethical thing to do because it doesn't seem like she would need it. Um, mm-hmm. I... I guess it's supposed to be called, we're supposed to call it electroconvulsive therapy now. But, okay. They don't know. Um, they don't, but the Mayo Clinic does. Um, it's much safer today, they say. Oh, good. What do you do this for? Why it's done here? I have to go to the next page. Okay. Severe depression. She might be depressed. Severe mania. Maybe yeah, she is, maybe she is exhibiting these signs. I don't know. Yeah. Well, Catatonia. Um, so anyway... We don't care. And what happens to her in this institution? Things are kind of weird. It seems a little sketchy. Um, the doctor really seems sketchy. That's what I really think is inconsistent right. characterization because Libby shows up and she's like, oh, I know this doctor. So you're like, okay, he has a connection to Libby. He also really seems like... He's like pushing for a lot of drugs. He's pushing for the selector shop therapy. So it seems like he's over-treating her. And he's also he also like wants to like talk to Libby like outside of just like this medical setting. And... Like, he's clearly, like, attracted to Libby. At the beginning, we get this. You didn't... No. Okay, because he was, like... I don't that. I know. I did not get that at all. I got that he was creepy, and because of his connection to Libby, he was supposed to be painted as, like, an evil doctor. Um. So I guess we're not skipping this. She says, when you stay to talk about when she gets settled, to discuss her case, I mean. And because he really wants to, like, keep talking to her. And Libby's like, I can't, but feel free to call Walker if you have any questions. Dr. Clarkson's face, though. Yeah, he's clearly like... Anyway, he's a sketchy connection to Libby. Sketchy connection to Libby. The doctor seems evil. The institution kind of seems evil. There's one nice nurse. Whatever. But at the very end, anyway, he's fine. fine. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry that happened. I didn't realize. Sorry. But it's true. It's very inconsistent. I don't know where you're um, trying to get. Where you're trying to get to, so... Okay, what we find that happens. Owen investigates. It turns out that Adele, remember that woman whose name was in the garage, was Walker's first wife. And that she died by driving her car off the road, like, really into a river. Into a river. Like, 20 feet away. Yeah. Like, really driving her car off the road. And Zoe is her daughter. Um, and then, I guess... Because Annie, throughout the book, has been making a huge deal of the fact that Libby doesn't seem to like Zoe, which we get in some clear instances. But some, again, some of the things that she's talking about with Libby just seem, like, ridiculous. She's like, Zoe's room isn't that decorated. So what? It's the room of a three-year-old. Which, okay, there's three, not two, but, like, when I was nannying for two-year-old twins, like, yeah, we didn't put all the stuff in the room. Why? Because when you put them down for a nap, they get out of their bed, they start climbing on shit, they destroy shit, like, they pull all the books and stuff, the animals out, like, it's a mess. So, yeah, you don't put all the stuff in the room, especially if it's breakable. Like, obviously, you don't want the kids to die when they get out of their bed and go exploring. So, it was just, there's some clear instances that Libby doesn't like Zoe. 
Um, like when Zoe starts having night terrors and Libby doesn't do anything about it. That seems pretty clear. The fact that there's not a lot of decorations in her room seems ridiculous. But yes, Zoe is Adele's daughter, not Libby's. Um, and so Adele drove off the road. Seems a little suspicious. Turns out Libby's the nanny at this point. Did you say that? Yeah, so Libby's Adele and Walker's nanny. So she's Zoe's original nanny. That's why Libby's involved here. Adele drives off the road. Zoe manages, or Zoe. Libby manages to save Zoe from the car, but can't get Adele out, supposedly. Walker's super grateful. In the back, before all this happens, though, Walker and Libby are having an affair. Um, and Annie finds this out because Walker comes to her in the mental hospital and tells her. Um, and fine, so I guess things are going down with Adele anyway. Then Adele dies. Guess who that clears the way for? Libby. Libby's like three months pregnant when Adele dies. Um, and so they get married, they move up to California to start a new life, where no one knows about this, like, tragedy. Um, and that's, so Jackson is her son. Um, and this is something that, like, Annie made a big deal of as well. That, like, oh, she never wants me to take care of the baby. She only wants me to take care of Zoe. And it's like, okay, Zoe's a toddler, Jackson the baby. Like, it's not, for, like, very wealthy families, it's not strange at all that someone would, that they'd have multiple nannies. Like a nanny and, and a baby be- nurse. And before, they did have a baby nurse. Yeah. Um, the baby nurse was, like, let go right before... Um, out there. It got out there. Yeah. Which, we're... I don't know. Whatever. Um, yeah, also, Jackson's an infant, so, like, mostly what he needs is, like, to be fed and then, like, put down. Uh-huh. Like, mostly. And she can do that because she's working from home, so, like... And she's the mother, yeah, like... Right, she's the one that needs to do the feeding. Yeah. So it's not that strange. It's just one of those things that Annie makes a huge deal out of, and you're like, this actually doesn't make... This makes perfect sense. So anyway, um, Annie then checks herself out of the hospital because she was in there um, voluntarily, so she can leave whenever she wants. And she leaves with Vaughn. Mr. Collins... Dr. Collins suddenly becomes, like, a nice, normal person, which... She's like, oh, weird. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm really sorry about that. I didn't know that she was so horrible. And it's like... You were painted as this villain before, and now he's just, like, totally fine. I was waiting for Dr. Collins to, like, be like, oh, you have to stay here now because of, like, some arcane rule, and, like... Yeah, but he doesn't. He's like, oh, it's fine. It's extremely um, fine. And it's still a little bit, like... So there's a couple things at the end. One thing I didn't pick up on, and then one thing that was a little bit weird. It seems like there were some instances in which Libby could not have manipulated Annie into, like, thinking these things. And so it's a little bit unclear how much Annie has just come crazy on her own mm-hmm. and how much it was just, like, situational manipulation. But there's no sign of that when she leaves. As soon as she leaves the hospital, it seems like she's totally fine in a situation where... Well, she still, she still goes to therapy. She's still going to therapy. At the end, of, at the end when Dr. Collins suddenly becomes this nice, normal person... He, like, gets so her options. Yeah, he, he starts talking about it, and he's like, once he finds out the truth about Libby... Because she's there for, like, maybe a week after all this happens, and she gets more therapy... And I think she sees Dr. Collins, and he's like, and he brings up the fact that, like, yeah, Libby manipulated you at the same time, in some ways, you have to think about in what ways you also, you suffered this trauma in your past, which you never really moved past, really, Mm. you never resolved this, so that's unresolved in your background, also, you have to think about in what ways are you sort of vulnerable to being manipulated by someone else, um, and so he's talking to her about that, let's, like, bring that to her attention, um, tells her that she needs to continue at patient therapy, which we know that she does later. Um, and, like, the weird part at the end was when he starts, then he brings up Owen, and he's like, how's Owen? Like, who is he? How did you meet him? And she's like, oh, Owen's a really great guy, blah, blah, blah. He's always super supportive. I'm like, okay. This book throughout the entire novel has been layering on the, like, so-called, like, ambiguity, suspense, psychological, like, whatever, with a ladle. Like, is very heavy-handed. And so then at the end... Um, he's like, well, what do you think, you know, you never really had a father, do you think Owen's a father figure for you? So he starts bringing up all these things where, where, I think, as a reader, we're supposed to think that this is leading to something with Owen. Um, and she's like, no, it's totally fine, everything's perfect with Owen, Owen's perfect, everything's super perfect, and you're like, okay. And then there's one more chapter in the book where she gets out and she goes to live with Owen and everything is freaking perfect for whatever. For whatever reason, Owen's in with her. Owen has a tech startup, so Owen's super rich. And now he gets to stay in San Francisco and everything's perfect. And she's just like chilling, doing her outpatient therapy and living with Owen and everything's great. I don't know the money's coming from now. Is Owen paying for everything? Apparently. It's a good situation for yourself. Yeah, exactly. This is like 
like the best of all possible world. Like if I like, it was so unrealistic also. And just everything turns out super perfect, I guess. And there's one thing where they're like driving. It's like her very last chapter, and she mentions like, oh, like I finally got my course catalog today because she's gonna now that she's had some time to recover, she's gonna go back to school. Um, and she's like, so I can figure out still picking up classes. And Owen is kind of like, like has this moment where he's like a little bit. I don't even think he says anything. I think he just, like, his facial expression is just, like, a little bit upset or whatever. And she's like, what, don't you want me to go back to school or something? And he's like, I just thought it was, like, a lot, you know, it could still be a really stressful situation after you've gone through all this. Um, and he's like, but you're right, like, we should celebrate and, like, we'll definitely look at it tonight. Look at the course catalog tonight. That's it. And then everything's perfect. And I think, I think we're supposed to think this is an ambiguous ending. Because that's one of the first things that happened with Libby was that she offered to go through the course oh, catalog with her. So that yeah. there's like a parallel kind of situation setting itself up. Mm-hmm. I think we're supposed to think it's an ambiguous ending. Uh, but if it's I supposed to be, I really... I didn't see it when I was reading it, but now that you're pointing it out, I like can see how you could read it that way. But it's not... But I don't general. agree that it really is ambiguous. If it's supposed to be ambiguous, it needs to be better written. Yeah, it's not This is me doing all the work here. Yeah. <laughs> Like, the doctor drops all these hints, but then nothing actually happens in the last chapter, except Owen, for a moment, is slightly upset that she's going to go back to school right away, and then he offers to help her look at the course catalogs. Oh. I'm sorry, but on its own, I don't read that as sinister. I don't read that. I think we're supposed to think that she immediately jumps into this manipulative relationship again, but since there's literally no evidence for it, I refuse to believe that. Yeah, that's weird. All right. I know. Um, meanwhile, today I'm going to Um... So, what do you think was the most, I have an answer to this question too, so after you're done, I'll point this out. What do you think was the most unrealistic scene moment part of this book? Man. You want me to answer mine first, what do you think about it? No, because then you're going to give away the answer. Okay, well. I have like 20 notes in this book, um, and they're all about unrealistic things. Okay, well I want you to pick one. I'm trying. The most. I can go first. I talked about a lot of things that I thought was super unrealistic. You can do, you can regurg, you can talk about one again. You don't have to go through the whole thing if you think it's the most unrealistic. At one point, <laughs> so we talked about, like, this, this is not what I think is most unrealistic, but just something that was unrealistic. We already talked about how setting seems to be a little bit of a challenge, that they think San Francisco is super sunny. Um, at one point, she talks about how she's just aimlessly driving through San Francisco. Again, you don't aimlessly drive through San Francisco, okay? It's kind of a pretty stressful experience. Like, it's crowded, there's a ton of cars, a lot of traffic, streets are not really built for cars exactly, like... The hills are crazy, so you're in traffic on, like, oh, a I know. 15 degrees slant, like... It's not a great place to drive, and I say this having driven through, like, like Boston in, like, horrible traffic. I drove over, like, some bridge in New York on the way to LaGuardia. Like, I've driven in horrible situations. San Francisco is also, like, not great. Maybe not the worst I've ever driven in. It's not, but, like, it's not great either. Um, also, I, so Owen drives a Jeep Wrangler. I just thought this was so weird, and she's, like, um, she, she like, points it out. She's, like, Owen drives a Jeep Wrangler even though nobody else does. And I was like, freaking everyone drives a Jeep Wrangler. I would drive a Jeep Wrangler if I could. Maybe not California. Okay, mine Maybe not California. Maybe we're biased because we're in Colorado. Where everyone drives a Subaru. Everyone drives a Jeep or a truck, yeah. It's not even what I said. Okay. There's also a lot of Subarus. Fine. Anyway, my most unrealistic moment is there's one point she gets a letter from the dean (laughs) and she's failing all her classes because she hasn't gone to any of them. So so shockingly, she's failing. And the dean's like, "We, we like... If you want to stay, you can, but you would need to get, like, 99% on all your finals to pass the classes. Good luck! <laughs> so... Also, what, I can't believe this is the first time the letter's been sent. Yeah. Um, and so the dean is like, so you can drop one of your classes, this is what we'd recommend, and we'll give you a full reimbursement. Guess what? That's not how college works, guys. Oh, no. You don't get a full reimbursement just because you're failing. Yeah, you don't get reimbursed for anything. Yeah, you don't get refunded. So that was strange. Um, that was my, in a book full of unrealistic... <laughs> Situations. That was my biggest, my biggest one. Yeah, I think it's hard to pick what could possibly be the most, but she already said a couple things. So we're counting those. There's okay. so much competition. Uh, um, let's go ahead and finish this up. Wait, no, I want to check it. It's fine. Um. Okay. So one of the things I want to talk about. So we talked about Annie being the worst and like really dumb and naive. We talked about problems with setting. Um. But also. One of, like, my biggest problems with this book was, like, the tone and the writing style. Um, this is meant to be, like, this psychological thriller. Um, we're meant, as a reader, to, you know, really 
the whole thing about like the unreliable narrator to not really know what's true to have all these questions um but the thing is like the tone and the writing style don't do that for me at all like it really it wasn't as ambiguous the thing it's just like it's laying it on so thick at this point um like every little thing even things that really don't seem suspicious at all are like commented on um and these quote unquote like what you think of as a subtle aside but none of them were subtle at all there's so much inner monologuing going on and she like points out things like again and again and again um and you can tell from the writing that it's, we're supposed to think it's suspicious but it's all these really innocuous things. It just doesn't make any sense. Like, it's not at all, it's not subtle, it's not twisty, it's not, like, a psychological thing. Like, it's not ambiguous at all in the way I think it's supposed to be. Um, so, like, when she's commenting on Libby's relationship with Zoe, um, this is, like, there's a whole paragraph that should just be, like, much more subtle. And so she's talking about, I was so excited about driving Libby's brand new BMW in the city that I didn't notice until after the fact that Libby hadn't kissed Zoe goodbye. But Zoe hadn't noticed either, thankfully. She was so excited by the prospect of spending the day with her dad, it seemed, that she temporarily forgotten about her mom. It was pretty obvious that Zoe favored her father, but that was normal for kids that age. The dad rarely home was a novelty. And Libby had her hands full with the baby. It was all completely healthy. Like, it's just so obvious. It's way too much. The whole, like, the sense at the end, it was all completely healthy. Um... Like, it's not leaving anything up to the reader, and it's not really showing anything. It's, it's just, like, telling over and over again. It just beats you over the head. Um, she also refers to her sister who drowned as my dead sister. Like, straight up. Like, my dead sister. Like, do you... And when would you ever refer to your sister who had died as your dead sister? Unless you're trying to draw a distinction between your living sister and your dead sister, um, which would seem, like, a little bit... Um, rough <laughs> i don't know if anyone would actually say that but she only has one sister and like even if your sibling had died wouldn't you still refer to them as your sister or your brother do you start calling them my dead sister i don't think so i don't have a dead sibling so i can tell you i find it indicative of like how thick this book is laying it on um yeah and the fact that like she's taking gothic lit that's a little bit of a heavy-handed comparison. They're reading the yellow freaking wallpaper about a woman who gets locked into a room and goes crazy. Like, it's supposed to be these, like, subtle illusions, but none of them are subtle. There's nothing about this book that's subtle. Yeah. It's beating you over the head with a shovel. Mm -hmm. I feel like one of the things that makes it, like, a thriller successful is you have to have that, like, gradual build. And when you're, like, laying it on thick the whole time, it's hard to build much. Mm -hmm. Well, it's already, like, four feet deep when you start, like... Yeah, no, from page four, I have a note about how it says really laying it on thick. Um, because she's looking at, like, the family photo they sent her, and she's commenting on the fact that Zoe's head is turned in the photo, and she's like, I wondered why they didn't take a better picture. And, like, every, like, every single little thing is supposed to be suspicious to us. And it's told that it's supposed to be suspicious to us in the writing. Like, you never draw any conclusions on your own. And it's just like nothing is ambiguous, nothing subtle. I didn't like it. Um, I also found this character to be super unlikable. Um, like we're given no reason to have sympathy with her. She has like no personality besides being like naive <laughs> um, and damaged essentially. Like it's just we're just supposed to feel bad for her because she has this traumatic home life. And I've read lots of books with characters that have, like, horrible home life, have a lot of trauma in their past, and I still felt connected to them as a character, though. And this book, it just seemed like that she just gives us, like, the trauma part, and we're supposed to feel connected to the character because they've had trauma, and for no other reason. Like, the character herself has no personality. Or maybe she has a little bit of personality, but it's super annoying to me, so I didn't like it. Yeah, she is, like, complains a lot at some point. She... I think it's when she's going through the garage and she sees, like, their travel plans and how, like, they got to go to Madrid or whatever, and she's like, I could never have this. Like, they have everything and I have nothing. Um, and even on the first page, she's like, um, I finally get to go to California. For 18 years of my life, it's been some other girl who's been in California. And it's just like, I don't know why you think this is your birthright, that, like, you should go to San Francisco. Like, everyone has to be born somewhere. You can't all be born in San Francisco. Um... And it also seems like she's come this far already. She's already at, like, a very good school. She's going to college. Um, 
and she's still extremely jealous of their lives. And I understand from the sense of just like they have so much wealth, and like that is definitely a normal thing when you if you work for a wealthy family. Yeah, you become very annoyed by what they think is normal, um, and the fact that they have so much, and like because it's just all like very excessive. Um, but at the same time, like she's in college, like get your degree, get a job, and then you can do whatever you want. You can build your own life. Like if you want to travel, fine. Get your degree, get a job in something, like, have your own life. It's just bizarre how jealous she is of, of their life, really. Um, I just never saw it connected to this character. She was just, like, bitter and had no personality and was very naive, and I didn't like it. Someone on Amazon left a two-star review and said, um, I can't remember having read a book with so many plot holes and such an unlikable main character. And she's like, oh, wait, I just finished Fifty Shades of Grey. But other than that... <laughs> Um, and that's how I feel. Plot holes and an unlikable main character. And we're going to represent now because I'm the only one talking. So, we're rating this book on a scale of nannies. So we're rating that on a scale of pain flanners and cheese from the nanny from The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. If you're not familiar with this movie, it's about this nanny who comes and she's like sort of seeking revenge on this family and so she like like, steals her baby and, like, tries to murder them all. So, not a great nanny situation. To uh, the nanny from The Sound of Music, whose name's... I still haven't recalled. Maria. Maria. And we get this book, Mary Poppins. Because, if you think about it, Mary Poppins is not as great as everyone thinks. She's a little bit of, like, a horrible nanny. Well, the Disney movie is super different from the book. And the Disney movie, she's like... I don't think I've read the book anymore. I don't know how I know this. But in the book, it's, like, dark. You know, like, she's not very nice. And the movie, she's, like, super cool, super nice. And the book, it is not that way at all. But, um, yeah. Dark Mary Poppins. Scary Mary. Scary Mary. If you haven't seen that YouTube video, Mary Poppins in the horror movie, you need to. That's what we get in this book. Scary Mary Poppins. Scary Mary Poppins. Yep. Except this book wasn't as scary as that trailer for Scary Mary was. No, it's not scary. Right, it's not know. a psychological thriller. And then we have two recommendations. Because it I would have to be thrilling. Each of a book to recommend. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Let me go first. Okay, so the book I'm recommending is Before I Go to Sleep by S.J. Watson, which is an actual psychological thriller. So if you want to read one of those, <laughs> you can actually read one. Um, it's about this woman, and every day she like when she wakes up, she's forgotten everything that's happened to her. She had a really bad car accident in which her long-term memory was damaged, and so when she sleeps, her short-term memories don't convert into long-term, and so she loses them. Um, and she's living with her husband, and everything seems really fine, and then she comes across this diary, and then this diary, she's kind of started cataloging things in her life, and things aren't adding up, and so she starts to become very suspicious of her husband, um, and so... She's trying to kind of uncover what is actually going on while also losing her memory every morning. So, it's very good. There's also a movie, which I didn't realize until I was looking at the author's name. I don't know if that's good, so. <laughs> Watch out your own discretion. Yeah, and so the book that I thought that this book was, like, very similar to, um, in lots of ways, but not in quality, not in terms of quality at all, um, is Rebecca, the classic by um, Daphne du Maurier. I don't actually know if that's how you her last name, but I thought that was a pretty good effort. Um, has one of the most famous first sites in literature, if you're into that sort of thing. Last night I dreamt I went to Mandalay again. Um, and so this is about um, a woman who we never get her name. Um, throughout the whole book, she's never named. Um, she's a narrator, it's in first person, but... We don't know actually who she is. She meets this um, really wealthy Englishman. I think they're in, like, I don't know, south of France, Monte Carlo. I get a very French Riviera vibe. I read this in ninth grade, um, and I don't remember all the details. Um, they meet, they fall in love, they get married. Now, this wealthy Englishman had a first wife named Rebecca, um, who his uncle was named for. And so they eventually go back to his home in England, um, and it seems like Rebecca is just everywhere. Um, she was apparently super beautiful, super popular. She was perfect. Like, 
perfect hostess and this is like an English manor house so there's like certain there's a role and certain responsibilities for the woman to run the house basically um even if you have a staff like um there's a certain way to manage the staff to run the household and this um second wife does not really know how to do that and she seems like she's always in Rebecca's shadow um like Rebecca's diary is out um there's you know Rebecca's like R for her name is just like everywhere um, and the housekeeper is super super loyal to this dead wife um, in a creepy way the housekeeper is really creepy and I don't want to tell anything else because it will give it away but it's the second wife basically trying to get out from under Rebecca's shadow essentially and trying to figure out um, what's going on and trying to establish her own place and it is also a like psychological Look, Alfred Hitchcock made a movie about it, so you, and the movie is good, basically. So you can read the book and then watch the movie. Um, yeah. Cool. Great. Awesome. You can also read the yellow wallpaper, I guess. I haven't actually read the yellow wallpaper, but um, I know enough to know it's a classic of feminist literature, and I wouldn't be surprised if my professor put it on a syllabus for a feminist class. I at least I would expect it. I would at least Google it before I got surprised. Like, I can understand you're like, oh, I wanted to read Virginia Woolf. But who's like, I thought we were going to read a feminist book in this feminist class. (laughs) Alright, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. And email us and rate us on iTunes. Yeah, so rate us at smartgirlswhysex at gmail.com. We will talk to you.